Welcome to Marriage Day Podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans. This is my wife, Karen. We're so glad that you've joined us. This podcast exists to help every couple thrive in marriage. In this series that we're on right now is called I Changed My Mind, Changing Our Thinking, because your thinking is everything. You know, the Bible says as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And so if you have wrong thinking, it's going to affect everything that you do, especially in the area of your marriage. And this uh, podcast today is on changing our thinking about failure and success. Now, I grew up, you grew up in a home, we had the wrong values. Uh, my, my parents, your parents also, their, their view of success was social status and money. And that's true of many people. But I, w- I want to talk to you today about what the Bible says about failure and success because it'll set you free. It will help you to realize what, I, what we're living for. What is the purpose of your marriage? Many people are living in a relationship, Karen, that actually has, uh, they're Christians. Mm-hmm. They're, the, what they're trying to accomplish is all the wrong things. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk about failure and success. We're going to begin with some questions from you guys there. And let me begin with one for you, Karen. My husband doesn't include me in his business decisions. I feel like he's trying to keep this separate. Aren't we supposed to share everything? That's so true. They are supposed to share everything. Yeah. And um, first of all, she's saying, I feel like he's trying to keep us separate. So yeah. I think they need to have some honest communication. Yeah. Just sit down and really talk about it and just say, you know, this is something that's concerning me. I, I feel like I need to be a part, you know, of it. I don't have to make the decisions, but at least you can fill me in on what's going on and just give me an overview of, you know, because... I don't know the situation. I don't even know what kind of business it is, but I do think that it's very, very important for him to share with her. Well, one of my friends, uh, uh, he doesn't own the company anymore, but he owned a very, very large company uh, at that time worth probably $50 million or or did $50 million a year in business. And um, he ran the business. In fact, he had several other businesses besides that. And he's a weeder dealer. He was always wheeling and dealing. She, she knew nothing. His wife knew nothing. And she felt frustrated. And, of course, he was spending millions and millions and millions of dollars all the time. And she would hear about things that he was doing after the fact, sometimes months or years after the fact. So she told him one day, they were, she said, I really feel frustrated by this uh, because you never talked to me. It's like you don't trust me. And if something happened to you, I have no idea what you're doing. So he came to me and he said, what do I do? And I said, she's, she owns half of that. I said, your company, half of it belongs to her, but she doesn't feel like an owner. And I said, what I would do is I would have a weekly meeting with her and sit down with her and open the books, open everything and say, I'll answer any question you have and just be patient with her and just, you know, uh, uh, let her ask any questions she wants and give her a full answer to it. So this went on for several months and he came to me and he said, you know, this has been one of the best things ever happened to us as a couple. And he said, the other thing that's surprising to me is how smart she is related to business. He's because she felt patronized that he was the businessman and she was the dumb little housewife, but she actually began to give him ideas that were really helpful when he opened it up to her. So the whole issue of marriage is sharing your life with someone else. And when you have a major, major area of your life that you're not sharing, it does create a barrier. And so I think that, uh, like with me, Karen, related to what we do, um, there's not anything you're not welcome in. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no no question you can't can't ask, Mm -hmm. and that that makes us feel one. Yeah, I agree. Okay. 
Okay, this is a long question. My husband and I have been married for 28 years, and about a year ago, I discovered that he had multiple affairs of different types over the years. We love each other and decide our marriage is worth saving and been trying to overcome this and move forward. We have been listening to your books and podcasts for months, which are awesome, and we love them, but where can I find help and advice on how to forgive, stop thinking about it, so we can move forward? I wish we would have found you years ago and listened to you then, and we probably could have avoided the downfall of our marriage. Well, there there are books uh, on the market um, that Chris and Cindy Beal, mm-hmm. I remember they're, they're from Oklahoma City. Uh, Chris had multiple affairs, got a girl pregnant, and Cindy actually raised the child, uh, forgave him uh, after his adultery, raised the child. It's one of the best stories out there. Chris and Cindy Beal, I, I can't remember. I think it's called After the Affair. I can't remember the exact title of the book. But I would get a book, a Christian book, uh, from someone who has successfully navigated this issue, but I know for for Chris and Cindy that they have really they have a great marriage. Uh, they're a great couple. Unbelievable uh, betrayal that she felt, but now they it's it's in their past and they're doing great. That's good. Well, it takes time. I mean, you know, something like this just takes time and. You know, sometimes you do have to forgive daily, you know, and, you know, eventually the Lord will start healing those places in your heart that can't trust and it'll be built back up. Yeah. We hope that this is helpful to you. And we're talking today, how do you define success or failure? Because I'll tell you, if you don't understand this, you're going to teach your children completely wrong about life and have the wrong standards in your family and in your marriage. And you're going to feel either like a false success or a false failure. You may be a rock star, but you feel like a failure because you don't understand God's standards for success. So I hope that this teaching today is helpful for you. Romans 12, say there in 1 Kings, Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of the mercy God has shown you, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And Paul is saying here is because of the mercy God has shown you, don't use the mercy of God to destroy your life and to ruin your life. It's reasonable because of what God did with us through grace is that we would serve the Lord and present to him a life that is usable to him. That's all it's saying. It's not legalistic. He's saying, just keep God in mind as it relates to the way you live your life and be sure that you're able to serve the Lord because of his mercy and grace that he's shown you. And there's an and there. Between verse one and two, there's an and. And for you to be able to do this, you can't think like the world thinks. That's what Paul's saying. You can't be conformed to the, way, the world's way of thinking and serve the Lord. And, and present your life usable to the Lord. You have to be transformed. And the Greek word there is metamorpho. The word of God transforms our minds. It completely changes the way that we think and therefore the way that we live. So in this message, we're gonna talk about success and failure. Uh, the world has a way to think about success. We've gotta change our minds. We have got to relearn what success means from a biblical perspective. Let, let me begin by talking about the world's definition of success. And I'm gonna give you seven things that the world says, if you have these things, you're successful. Okay, the first is financial prosperity. I think we all agree with that. Uh, Having enough money to possess everything you desire and care for others. In fact, for a lot of people in the world, that's kind of the only standard. Nothing else matters as long as you have money. Number two is popularity and favor. 
uh, either through physical attractiveness, personality, talent, or some other means, being known, accepted, and well-liked by people. A lot of people sell their souls uh, for popularity. I don't know if you remember several years ago, this mother who killed a cheerleader, or attempt, it was either attempted murder or murder. She attempted to kill uh, one of her daughters, uh, the cheerleaders that was on her daughter's, uh, in her daughter's class because that other cheerleader posed a threat to her daughter being popular. That's what you call popularity becoming an idol when you can justify murder. But a lot of people worship popularity in favor. Three is power and influence. Social, financial, and or spiritual rank, authority or ability that gives me the power to do as I please and to represent and protect those I care about. Again, a lot of people believe that if you have a certain rank, that is success. Number four, relational happiness. Loving others and being loved in a secure and meaningful relationships. That's a big deal. I mean, that's something everybody wants. Number five, intellect and education. Having a high IQ and being educated at the desired level and the desired field. That, that goes along with being successful. Number six is giftedness. Having special gifts artistically, athletically, musically, or in an area that fulfills my desires and makes me noticed and appreciated by others. Giftedness, whether it's musically, athletically, whatever it might be. And the, the last one is strength and security. Living in an environment in peace and safety and having the ability to protect it. There may be some cultural differences uh, with this definition, but this is per pretty much universally the truth. And there's nothing wrong with them. When, when you look at the seven standards that the world would use as success, any given, any one of them can be used righteously. Uh, any one of them can be right and good within itself. But here's the problem. You can be a total failure and have all seven of these. And I want you to notice there's no spiritual definition in there. Of all the seven things that I said, I didn't say one thing about your spiritual life because most of the world does not have a spiritual measurement on success. Money, looks, power, popularity, those are the things the world strives after as it relates to success. You can have all seven of the things that we just talked about there and be a complete failure in God's eyes according to God's definition of success. And let me just give you an example of one of the best examples in the Bible, and it was King Solomon. King Solomon was David's son. He was the son of David and Bathsheba. And Solomon became the wisest man and the most powerful man on earth. There'll never be a person as wealthy and as wise as Solomon on the earth, except for Jesus had his wisdom, but I'm talking about wealth. And I ask you to turn to 1 Kings 10 there. 1 Kings 10, 23 Here's what it says about Solomon. Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Okay, so he was, I mean, you, you, take, you take all seven of the things that we just listed there. I mean, he nailed all seven as it related to being successful. And then there was a little problem. First Kings 11, the next chapter, chronicles the problem of Solomon. Verse one, King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord has said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Listen to that. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, 
And after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as his father David did. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. So God appeared to Solomon on two occasions. He became the wisest man on the earth, wrote the book of Proverbs, and God gave a commandment, not just to Solomon, God gave a commandment to the children of Israel and said, do not intermarry with unbelievers. This is, by the way, 1 Corinthians 7 tells us the same thing today. In 1 Corinthians 15, says, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. And so Sol- evidently Solomon thought he was the exception or something. But so God said, Solomon, I don't, do not intermarry with foreign wives because that was a practice of kings. They would intermarry with foreign wives. That way your enemy had grandchildren in your house and they didn't want to attack you. And so it was, a, it was a way that you develop peace, but it was a compromise. So God said to Solomon, you cannot intermarry. And then it says, he clung to them in love. It wasn't just rebellion. When you marry a thousand of them, you know you're rebelling. <laughs> Two or 300, not a problem. A thousand, it's a problem. <laughs> he clung to them in love. The only thing dumber than a thousand wives is a thousand husbands. <laughs> I th- listen, And for every single one of them, he built a monument and a place of worship to their God. Think about what I just said. The wealth that God had given him, he took to build these altars to these other gods. Now listen to me. Ashtoreth was a sex goddess and a goddess of war. But the worship of Ashtoreth was orgies and sexual practices and and, uh, the temple prostitution and things like this. This was a grotesque religion of all kinds of abominations before God. But Milcom and Chemesh and Molech all required child sacrifices. And when it talks about that he built temples to Chemosh and Molech and Milcom and all of those, the abomination of the Ammonites, the abomination is because they took little babies up to these altars and placed them in fire and offered up their babies. This was Old Testament abortion is they didn't have the medical technology to abort in the womb. They just waited till the baby was born. Or even if the child turned out to be two or three and you didn't like him, you offered him up to Molech. And all day long, there were streams of babies coming east of Jerusalem, down in the valley where all these places were. And it says, so the anger of the Lord burned against Solomon, but he had all seven of the things we just talked about. He was the most powerful man on earth. He had a thousand wives to love him. He was the richest man on earth. He was incredibly educated and had a high IQ on and on and on. He nailed all seven, but the Lord's anger burned against him and he died as a failure. And we have to get our definition of success right. And I want to go back and say, there's nothing wrong with the seven things that we talked about. My prayer is all of those things for all of us. I mean, I have nothing against them. Except this, I don't want to have all seven of those things and have the Lord angry at me. I don't want to have all seven of those things and live my whole life to have those things in my life and then to die and to find out one day in eternity that I failed trying to succeed. And so 
Jesus Christ, our Savior and our example, <laughs> didn't have very many of those. He didn't have, first of all, he wasn't popular. When you die on the cross, you know you lost the popularity contest. You know what I'm saying? He's popular now, but he wasn't popular then. They crucified him. We don't know that he was attractive. Isaiah 53 says he's nothing to look at, that we should gaze upon him. Well, that could be describing him on the cross, but understand this. Before the cross, Judas had to kiss him so they would know which one he was. Judas didn't say the, to the betrayers, just, I'm gonna, the good-looking one, that's Jesus. He, he didn't stand out in the crowd, as far as we know. He died penniless. He had, to, he had to borrow a grave to be buried in. But let me say this to you. Our Savior was the most successful person who ever drew a breath on this earth. There will never be anybody as successful as the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the world's eyes, he was a failure. So Solomon had all seven, died a failure. Jesus had very, very few and died an absolute success. So this, I hope this is freaking you out. And I hope this is causing you to question everything you have in your mind as a valuation of success in your life. Because this is a big deal. The way we live our lives, the way we think about success. And here's the problem, some of the problems of having wrong standards of success. The number one is a wrong sense of success or failure. Let me say something. There may be some of you that don't think you're successful. You're very successful. I'm about to talk to you about what success is in God's eyes. There are some of you that maybe feel like that you're failing in life and you're, you're just nailing it. You're a rock star. You don't even know it. You're gonna leave here today knowing that you're a rock star. But there are some people who think they're successful, but they're failures. They're living their life according to the wrong standard. Another problem of having the wrong standard of success is wrong parenting and wrong modeling. I want you to listen to it. We are the model of success to our children. Um, when I was in business, a man came up to me and offered me a lot of money to, um, to work for him. I was a good salesman. Uh, I was the top salesman the first month I ever sold. So I'm, my family's a fam full of salespeople. So we sell. So he came to me knowing that I knew how to sell and he came to me and offered me a ton of money. Well, we were in this church and I was not the pastor. We had a life group. I was a Sunday school teacher. We were very involved. Karen uh, had a life group and worked in the nursery and we were very involved in the church. And this guy told me, he said, um, if you come to work for me, you're gonna have to work nights and weekends. And I looked at him. He's sitting in my living room and Karen's sitting right there. And, and I looked at him and I said, I won't work nights and weekends. I said, we've got, a, we've got our church We've got a life group. And I said, that's just an inviolable part of our lives. And he mocked me. He laughed at me and mocked me there in my living room, telling me basically I was a fool for not giving up uh, my life group in this church to make money. Well, let me just tell you something. That's over 30 years ago. I thank God that I told him no. Because he was wrong. I will not sell my soul for money, and I taught my children, don't sell your soul for money. Listen to me. A lot of parents, because they have the wrong standards of success, they raise their, their children are busy at school, busy with sports, busy with friends, and God comes last. Guess what? When you raise your kids like that, they, grow, they live their lives like that, the rest of their lives. God comes last. Money comes first. Friends come first. Popularity comes first. All of those things come first, and if you can fit God in, he comes there. What we taught our children is God is first, period. God is the inviolable. God comes first. Church comes first. 
we will not sacrifice God for anything. I was playing golf in California a couple of years ago with a guy I was just playing by myself and they put me with another guy in beautiful, beautiful golf course, beautiful area, the hills of, of Orange County in Southern California. And, and we were coming up this fairway and we saw this massive house up on this hill, gorgeous house. And I said, goodness gracious, look at that house. And this guy lived there. And I said, who lives there? And he said, so-and-so, he gave, told his name and he told the company the guy worked for. I said, what's that? He said, he's the leading pornographer in Southern California. He exports more pornography than anybody else in Southern California all over the world. Is he successful? No, 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 seriously. Is he successful? No. Let me tell you why he's not successful. He is corrupting lives and devastating families. And our ministry picks up the pieces after what he does. And I can tell you this. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how many people bow at your feet. And I don't care how many people are impressed by your name. If you're corrupting human lives, you're going to go to hell. And there's nothing successful about that. What, what, effect, what effect is your life having on other people's lives? What investment are you making in the kingdom of God? How many people will go to heaven because of you? And again, I want to go back and say, the people working in our parking lot right now, when this service is over, whoever gets saved in this service, it goes to their account. They were a partner in making that happen. All of us, the, the giving, when we give to the Lord, when we serve the Lord, it just simply means I understand that I'm responsible. Two men went out and took their talents, invested them. The one man dug, his, dug in the ground and hid his talent. And when the master came back, he said, you're a hard man. And I don't want to work for you. And here, take your talent back. You got what's yours. And the master looked at him and said, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I wanted to return when I came back and you didn't do it. And he said, cast that man in the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The second standard of success is, am I living my life for God or just myself? Is there, is there a, am I just lost in the little story of me? Or is there a bigger story? Let me say this, there's a king and a kingdom that we get to serve. There's a world of hurting and lost people that we get to reach. And then we go to heaven and get the eternal reward for that. That is success. That is success, living your life for God. Here's the third story. Now I'll finish this one quickly. This, is, this has to do with, this is called the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25. This is Jesus' third parable. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne in his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom of prayer for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, you gave me no drink. Or gave me no food. Thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. And sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we? Now notice they call him Lord. 
When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment that the righteous into everlasting life. See, the sheep and the goats. And you can tell by the way you treat people. The third standard of success, according to Jesus here, is treating others with compassion and dignity as Jesus would, regardless of what they have done for us or can do for us. See, the world's standards of success just make you selfish. <laughs> that's what they really do. If, if that's the only way you define success, you just become supremely selfish and you live your life to accumulate, not distribute. Live your life focused on yourself, not other people. And many people who are successful in the world's eyes are just very hard-hearted people. They really are. You know, when, uh, when all the hurricane happened on the East Coast, Hurricane Sandy, it, it's just interesting to me that there wasn't one Muslim mercy ship that showed up to help. You know why? It's just not a compassionate faith. It's just not. Allah, Allah's hard. He's very hard. Muhammad said, after all I've done for Allah, I don't know what he'll do with me. It's, it's a very hard religion. And there are a lot of wonderful, precious Muslim people. I mean, there really are nice Muslim people. We know that there's those who are, you know, very radical and very full of hate. It's just not a compassionate faith. But ours is a compassionate faith. And Jesus Christ is a compassionate Savior. And here's what he says. I take it personally how you treat everybody. And if you think you can sit there and point your finger at hurting people and not reach out to them and help, and me not take it personally... You're wrong. The way you treat vulnerable people reveals your nature as much as anything else in this life. And there are those that take advantage of vulnerable people. You know, I heard recently about some guy that worked in a nursing home and he was you know, abusing the patients and, and stealing from them and things like that. How, how wicked is that? To take a person vulnerable and to take advantage of their vulnerability. And Jesus said, these people laying up in the hospital, these people that are in prison, these people that are hungry and naked and thirsty, as far as you're concerned, that's me. When you didn't do it to them, you didn't do it to me. And the sheep said, Lord, we didn't realize when we were helping all those people that we were helping you. And Jesus said, come on in, family. You act like me and you have my heart toward other people. And the goat said, Lord, when did we see you naked, prisoner, hungry? And Jesus said, you didn't. You turned your back. You're not like me. And they go into hell. Now, if you know Jesus, you're on your way to heaven. But here's the moral of this story. When we know Jesus, it means we live our lives for a higher purpose than just ourselves. And we treat people with love and compassion. Let me say this. I don't know how much money you have or don't have. I don't know who likes you or doesn't like you. I don't know what your position in life is, but if you know Jesus, you're living for him and you treat people with love, you're a rock star. Amen. And don't you ever let anybody tell you any different. You may not look as good as other people say you ought to look. You may not have all of the pedigree that other people tell you you ought to have. I'm telling you, if you know Jesus, you're living for him, and you treat people with love, you've got everything that is required to be a successful person on this earth. And in heaven, that will be fully revealed. I believe that Jesus is coming very soon. And in the moment he comes, the successful and the unsuccessful will be revealed. Notice in all three parables, everyone looked the same until the end. 
The stewards all looked fine until the end. The virgins all looked the same until the end. And the sheep and the goats were all together until the end. But when the end came and God's standard was exalted eternally above man's standard, that's when everything became separate. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.